take your Bible, open it to Mark chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 40 through 45. The message is, I am willing. Mark 1, verse 40. So you got the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark chapter 1. Let's pray one more time. Father, it's good to be together this morning. We, we don't want to take for granted the fact that we have this beautiful time to come into your house and spend it with your people. But as we sang this morning, we want to know your presence, the glory of your presence, Lord. Thank you that the Bible teaches us that you inhabit the praises of your people. But thank you that the Bible teaches more than that, that you inhabit us as your temple. That the Holy Spirit is in us if we are a believer this morning. And it is through that Holy Spirit, Father, that I pray that you'd prod us to open our ears and open our eyes. Let us hear what the Spirit says to your people, your church. We're going to look at a story, an incredible, amazing story of your grace, of a man in desperate need, a man who was an outcast, a man who lived in a painless suffering. And I pray, Lord, that that picture that emerges from this leprous man would teach us what you want us to know this morning. Extend your hand to heal us. Lord, heal our hearts, which is the heart of our problem. They're desperately sick, incurable. Who can understand it? But you do, Lord, and you are the one. The master's touch can heal us, and that's our prayer this morning. Make us more like you. Draw us to yourself. Let us be a community filled with compassion and passion for the gospel. We lay this time at your feet. Take it where you want it to go. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now last time we were together, we saw a beautiful day in Capernaum, a seaside city off the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had been thrown out of his hometown. He went to preach in the synagogue in Nazareth. They kicked him out because they didn't like his full sermon. They took him to the brow of a hill and they were going to kill him. And he supernaturally passed by because it wasn't his appointed time to die nor would he die in that way. And he moved on to a seaside town called Capernaum. It was the, uh, his adopted hometown, according to Matthew 9, verse 1. It was a place that apparently Peter lived, had a house there. And these incredible miracles took place. One happened in the synagogue. It was the healing of a man who had an unclean spirit, and the spirit came out of him by the command of Jesus Christ, And there was great wonder, and Jesus went to Peter's house and healed his mother-in-law, and she uh, had a terrible fever, and she was healed and began to serve. And then Jesus had the city just emerge as the sun set. The whole city came to the door of Peter's house, and one after the other, Jesus was casting out demons, healing people of diseases, and it was an incredible night in Capernaum until we turn to Matthew chapter 11. And we saw Jesus begin to speak woes upon cities where most of his miracles had occurred. And he named Bethsaida, and he named Capernaum. And he said, if the miracles that occurred in you would have occurred in Tyre and Sidon and Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. But you, the implication, you will not repent 
And though there were these incredible miracles that happened and in deep into the night, Jesus healing one person after the other, the, the picture we get from the mouth of the Messiah is that the bulk of the people who experienced the miracles did not truly repent in their hearts. And I said last Sunday that if you have the privilege of experiencing a physical healing, which we do believe occurs, and if God extends his hand of grace to you, and we all know, I, I said to you, when we're sick, when we know somebody's sick, we pray earnestly for their healing. And we do believe that God still heals. But if someone is healed, it is at best temporary. We're all going to die of our last disease. The true healing that we need is in our souls. And he was wounded to heal our souls. But the testimony against Capernaum with all the miracle light that went out that night is that most of the people did not see the spiritual point. Now, Mark's gospel is a rapid-moving gospel, and it, and it uh, highlights a lot of Jesus' miracles. But I want to say something to you about Jesus' miracles that you, maybe you've thought of, maybe you haven't. Jesus' miracles really did happen. They were true healing miracles, instantaneous miracles in most cases. They were true, they were legitimate, they could be tested, they could be documented medically. But his miracles were also parables. This is very important to understand. His miracles were a picture of something deeper. Now the word parable, you, many of you know that Jesus spoke in parables, is a word called parabole in Greek. It literally means to set one thing aside another thing to bring clarity to it. It's been said that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. A parable is an earthly story with a spiritual point. And Jesus' miracles were also parables. On a sub-level, they were making a deeper spiritual point than what you just saw on the surface. Example, in Luke 14, a man with dropsy comes in to a dinner party that Jesus has been invited to. Dropsy is a disease, or it's a culmination of diseases, where you retain fluid in your body and you swell up. And you, that, that, this is kind of gross, but this is what happens. Where you can have liquids in the body even begin to ooze out of your body. This man was put before Jesus, I believe intentionally, to see if Jesus would heal him. And Jesus did heal him. But the man who had this infectious disease or this swelling of his body was a picture of Israel, swelled with pride, and they would not come to the healer to receive their healing. They stayed in their sick condition. When Jesus fed the 5,000 plus women and children, he said, I'm the bread of God, I'm the bread that came from heaven. The miracle of the manna was a deeper spiritual picture. He feeds the soul. That's why he came. When he talks about living water, he says, I can quench your deepest thirst. It's a picture of what God does for us. And when he delivered people from demonic possession, he was showing that he has power over Satan. When he called people out of the tomb and walked out of the tomb himself, he was showing that he had power over death. His miracles were parables. They were intended to show the condition of mankind and the ability of God to heal us. So important that we understand this. In fact, every time he did a miracle, I think he expected people to say, aha, I get it. There's something more going on here. There's a deeper picture that needs to be seen. 
And this is the picture that is painted for us by the Gospel of Mark. The leper will come to him, a man with leprosy. You might ask, what was leprosy? Well, leprosy was at first thought to be an infectious skin disease. It was something that often showed itself in shining spots on the skin, redness. It would look like a, like a terrible skin disease. But as they did more research, uh, the disease has now come in modern times to be known as Hansen's disease. It's, a lot of research has been done by a Dr. Hansen. And they have found that the essence of leprosy is not so much that it is a skin-eating disease, although it looks like that. What leprosy really does is kill the nerve endings and you lose sensitivity to pain. So that if you have leprosy, you could stick your hand in something hot and not know that it was burning you. You could hit your finger with something and not know that you lost a digit. And the, the stories are that lepers' faces would begin to cave in. They would take a, a lion-like appearance from scratching their faces. And they even say in modern surgery accounts, when they would do surgery on a leper, they would send a cat home with a, leopard, uh, with a leper to make sure that no vermin like mice would begin to chew on their ear during the night because they wouldn't be able to tell that they were being chewed on. So lepers were often disfigured. And if you were a leper, because of the the worry about the disease and and believing that it was very communicable, you would live in a leper colony. You were separated from your family. You could not go into the walled city of Jerusalem. If you wanted to go to synagogue, they had a separate compartment for lepers and you had to worship God through a screen. You had to walk around with your hair disheveled. You had to cover half of your face and cover your beard. And anywhere you went, you had to yell these two words, unclean, I'm unclean, to warn people that you were coming. If you were next to a person, you couldn't be within six feet of them. And if the wind was blowing in your direction, away from you towards people, you had to be 150 feet away from other people. It was a life of shame and a life of pain. If you were married, you probably never got to touch your wife again. If you had family, you never got to touch your kids again. How many of you have seen the movie Ben-Hur? Raise up your hand if you've seen that movie. You remember that the mom and the daughter get lepers, they become lepers, and they're in that colony, and you see the agony in Charlton Heston just knowing that he can't even be near his family, and he takes a huge risk by even going into the leper colony. And the beauty of the end of that movie is that healing that takes place of the mom and the daughter by the power of Jesus Christ. Phenomenal stuff. And so some of the doctors, even Paul Bernard, that's done some research in the recent past on leprosy, calls it a painless hell. And it's been pointed out that leprosy is a symbolic picture. Here's the deeper picture of sin. A slow, gradual process that eats away at you until it eventually destroys you, but you don't even really realize what's happening to you. You're losing things in your life that are precious and important, but you can't feel anymore. The only way you could really understand what's happening to you is if you look in the mirror, and then you're reminded of what's happening in your life. And leprosy becomes this spiritual, symbolic picture of sinful mankind. Many people just don't realize what sin is doing to them. 
And so many people that were touched by the power of the Messiah on that night in Capernaum did not repent. And here's this scene. This is Mark 1.39. It says, And he, Jesus, went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, Mark 1.39, preaching and casting out the demons. And a leper came to him, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Matthew's parallel account in Matthew 8, verse 2, says, Behold, he almost appears out of nowhere, a leper came to him and bowed down to him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And we saw in the previous account a man with an unclean spirit, and now we see a man who's considered unclean. He has to announce to the world that he is dirty, soiled, and diseased. And now he comes to Jesus and he's taking a huge risk because anybody that's even in the vicinity when he approaches has to be angry and upset. What are you doing here? You have no right to be here. And he comes up to Jesus and he bows down before him. In Matthew's account, the the idea of bowing down is proskuneo in Greek and it means to prostrate oneself. It's the word for worship. And he calls him Lord in Matthew's account. Lord, if you are willing... You can make me clean. I believe he prefaces it with if you are willing because he's probably a man so used to people not being willing. So used to being cast out. So used to rejection. Is that you? You feel that way in your life? That's the man that Jesus is dealing with. And he comes to the feet of Jesus and he says, if you're willing, you, and I believe the implication is you alone can make me clean. R.C. Trench, the great Greek scholar and the inspiration for and first editor of the monumental Oxford English Dictionary, recognized this. He said, though the leper, leper was not worse or guiltier than his fellow countrymen, he was nevertheless a parable of sin, an outward visible sign of innermost spiritual corruption. The nature of leprosy with its insidious beginnings, its slow progress, its destructive power... And the ultimate ruin it brings makes it a powerful symbol of moral depravity. As I've walked this earth, I've seen some people, sometimes at the end of their lives, they are so leprous in their hearts, they don't even want to talk to anybody anymore. They are not open to the gospel anymore. They've been so overrun by this disease that sin brings to a life. And sometimes you almost feel like there's a wall, an impenetrable wall up. In Luke's parable account, or uh, excuse me, uh, parallel account, go to Luke, next book to your right, Luke's parallel account in Luke chapter 5, Luke says it came about, verse 12, Luke 5, verse 12, that while Jesus was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man full of leprosy. Now, Luke was a medical doctor, and so Luke gives us a little bit, of, a little bit more insight. This man was full of leprosy. In other words, it wasn't just the beginning stages of the disease, He was full of it. He was diseased, the idea seems to be, from head to toe. He was probably a terribly ugly scene to see. If you want to try to stomach it, you can go and look at a picture of a person that's filled with leprosy, and all it takes is one picture to get the idea. It's a terrible sight to see. And this man was full of leprosy, and Luke says in 5.12 that the man full of leprosy, when he saw Jesus, he fell, notice, on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, 
You can make me clean. Leprosy dominated the men and defined the men. Now what's interesting about these parallel accounts in Mark and Matthew and Luke, all that record this incident, in Matthew's account, the scene is recorded just after Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount, the tail end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. And in Luke's gospel, I want you to look back a few verses because here's what's happening in the context and flow. Luke 5, verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw that, that is the miracle catch of fish, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And that leads us right into verse 12 and the story of the leper. And here's the idea. Peter is the spiritual picture of, of the physical reality just a few verses later. Track with me on this one. Peter, in the presence of the Holy One, realizes his spiritual leprous condition. He falls down on his knees before the Lord and says, Lord, you remember? Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. In the presence of the Holy One, Peter saw who he was, and much like a leper, he would say, Unclean, unclean. Lord, please go away. I see who you are, and I see who I am in light of your holiness, and my life is full of leprosy, quote unquote, if you will. Please depart unclean, unclean. That's the scene, folks. And Jesus says, Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you will become a fisher of men. What did he mean? Men just like you, Peter, are going to come and experience my healing power. You've just seen a foretaste of coming attractions. You ain't seen nothing yet, Pete, baby. You see, this is what ministry is about. It's about the church being the hands and feet of Jesus reaching out to those who are broken and the man saw his true condition and this is what it takes to be saved. Psalm 51.17 says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Write these down for your notes. Isaiah 57.15 says, thus says the high an exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. And Isaiah 66, 1 and 2 says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house that you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look, listen to this, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and to him who trembles at my word. You see, this has always been the case for sinful humanity. You could say sinful Israel who fell in the desert and still was in a fallen condition. But for all of mankind to realize our condition before the Holy One, It's captured in Isaiah 64. If you turn there, Isaiah chapter 64. While you turn there, I'm going to read to you from uh, Psalm 24, but turn to Isaiah 64. We'll start in verse 1, but here's Psalm 24, 3 and 4. It says, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? 
who may stand in his holy place, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. The only way you can have clean hands and a pure heart is to have that heart cleansed by Jesus Christ. Look at Isaiah 64. The culmination of so much in the book of Isaiah, Israel's problems, God saying there's hope, and here's Isaiah 64, 1 says, Oh, that thou would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at thy presence. As fire kindles the brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make thy name known to thy adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. Isaiah 64, 3. When thou did awesome things which we did not expect, thou didst come down, and the mountains quaked at thy presence. For from old they have not heard nor perceived by ear, neither has the eye seen a God besides thee, who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. Thou dost meet him who rejoices in doing righteousness, who, who remembers thee in thy ways. Behold, thou was angry, for we sinned. We continued in them a long time. And shall we be saved? For all of us have become like one who is what? Unclean. All our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. All of us wither like a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind take us away. And there is no one who calls on thy name, who arouses himself to take hold of thee. Think of the leper. For thou hast hidden thy face from us and thou hast delivered us into the power of our iniquities or the power of our sins. That's the leper, but he came to the Lord. But now, O Lord, thou art our father. We are the clay, thou our potter. And all of us are the work of thy hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord. Neither remember iniquity forever. Behold, look now, all of us are thy people. Do you see Israel is being pictured here, but all of mankind in this broken condition. And all you've got to do is realize where you are in the presence of the Holy One. Back to Mark chapter 1. And you can receive healing. There are two tricky things about sin, though. There are some people walking the planet who do not realize their condition. They don't think they need God's help. They think Christianity and that kind of thing is for other people. Other people who need Jesus. There's a story about uh, this type of religious person who doesn't think they're a sinner told about um, John Wesley and George Whitfield had a supporter of theirs. She was the Countess or Lady of Huntington. She invited invited a duchess, the proud duchess of Buckingham, to hear Whitfield preach and receive this amazing written reply. Listen to this. It is monstrous to be told, she says, that you have a heart as sinful as the common wretches that crawl on the earth. This is highly offensive and insulting, and I cannot but wonder that your ladyship should relish any sentiment so much at variance with high rank and good breeding, close quote. It's the poor wretches that need to hear that kind of stuff, not someone like me, said the duchess. And you run into people like this. They say, oh, Jesus, fine for those poor people who, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. But they don't realize that they are the picture of a person who needs the Lord. And then there's somebody on the other extreme, and that's the person who thinks that they're so full of leprosy, quote unquote, so far gone that the Lord would never be willing to touch them. They say things like, you know, if I ever walked into that church, you'd better step a few paces back because there might just be lightning at the door. And I've told people, yeah, that may happen, but that's all right. No, just kidding. 
You see, there are some people who think they're in no need of repentance. Isaiah 30, verse 15 says, Thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel. He said, In repentance and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you, Isaiah 30, verse 15, were unwilling. But the man, the leper, was willing. He risked everything. Rabbis even said that if a leper came near you, it was legal to throw stones at them. The rabbis taught that. Hey, if they get too close, it's okay. It's, it's, it's religious. Just pick up a rock. Well, the rabbi said it's... This is how bad it had gotten. Think of all this man risked to come to the feet of Jesus and admit his deep need. Lord, on his face, you can make me clean. Are you willing? And moved with compassion. I think verse 41, Mark 1, 41, everybody else was probably filled with anger, filled with resentment, surprise, Jesus was filled with compassion. You want to know something about your Savior? You want, you want to know something about the Messiah? When everybody else didn't want to deal with people, he was filled with compassion. The word compassion is an interesting word in Greek. It's a word that means to feel something deep inside. In fact, the ancients used to associate it with the bowels. It means feeling something so deeply that it is gut-wrenching. Jesus didn't look at this man on his face, diseased and, and disfigured, and say to him, oh, look at that poor person. You know, oh, maybe we'll help him out. No, Jesus felt his pain. This is beyond sympathy. It's even beyond empathy. It's to feel what he felt, breath for breath, blood for blood. It's to say, man, my soul yearn, yearns for you. you. You guys, if we just had a smidgen of that compassion, that compassion might move us as well. Jesus was moved with compassion. What moves you? You know, compassion is simply love and action. And in the Hebrew picture language, it's interesting. Compassion is a word that means the womb. It speaks of the womb of a mother. That place that's set aside, especially for compassion for another. And Jesus had compassion on the man. Everybody else probably felt hate. Everybody else probably was disgusted. And Jesus was moved with compassion. And he did something that would have alarmed everybody. He stretched out his hand and he touched him. And he said to him, I am willing. Be cleansed. John chapter 6 says, Whoever comes to Jesus, he will in no wise cast them out. God is not willing that any perish, but all come to repentance. God wants all men and women to come to a knowledge of the truth. He won't cast you out if you recognize your condition and come in humility. And the, the leper came, and Jesus did something that scholars say, according to the teaching of the law of Moses and rabbinic tradition, would make him ceremonially unclean. He touched the man. And this touch spoke volumes because this man probably hadn't been touched in years. In fact, nobody wanted to even be near him. I heard of a pastor who said he used to counsel with an older man. He would meet with this older man weekly and the older man admitted that he was extremely lonely. Some of his choices had put him there. 
and that he would go once a week to get a haircut just to experience some physical touch because no one ever hugged him, no one ever touched him, no one cared about him. The world is filled with lonely people. Where do they all come from? That was a song. (laughs) You have a family. You take things for granted. You think, oh, that they should do this for me. They should do this for me. Folks, we don't know how good we have it. We don't realize the blessings that we possess by the grace of God. And the leper came, broken, at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus touched him. Now, there's no way you can make the Messiah, the Holy One of Israel, unclean. So whatever they want to say, Jesus was not unclean. But his touch of the leper is a picture. Remember I told you his miracles are parables. His touch of the leper is a picture of the incarnation and the gospel. Track with me. When Jesus died on the cross, the Bible teaches a great exchange that our sin went on him and his righteousness comes to us. When Jesus died on the cross, it says he made him who knew no sin to be what? To be sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And in that touch is a picture of the coming cross where God will treat Jesus as though he were leprous and give to us the clean righteousness of our Savior. This is the great exchange. Praise God. Hallelujah. This is what God has done for us. What did that touch mean in that moment? How many people in that room were shocked? You remember the woman with the flow of blood? She said, if I could just touch the hem of his garments, I will be made well. His touch is the master's touch. And this is what he did. When he was on the earth, he shocked people with who he was willing to let get close to him because he did not come to call the healthy He came to call the sick to repentance. And he said to the religious leaders, go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. I did not come to to call the righteous or those who think they're righteous, but sinners. Do you remember remember, uh, later in the Gospel of Mark, this is in John as well, he saw the great multitude and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. This is also in Matthew. He looked at the multitudes and he saw them downcast and overcome by life and he saw them like sheep without a shepherd and he felt compassion on them. Let me ask you, how's your heart? You know, sometimes we look at our hearts and we say, Lord, do I feel a measure of compassion like you do? God forbid that my heart would become leprous. That my heart would become indifferent and cold to humans around me. This is the ministry, you guys. And getting in the trenches with other human beings is not always easy. And sometimes we get, we get uh, you know, overwhelmed. We, we get wronged by people. And sometimes we close our hearts But Jesus didn't do that. Colossians 3.12 says, So as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so you should also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Don't forget who you were. When you met Jesus, so that your heart doesn't become cold and calloused. And Jesus, according to Luke's gospel, stretched out his hand 
and touched him. And he said, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus moved with compassion, said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. There's oftentimes when I read my Bible, I wish that there were, I'd, I'd like to know if there's a video room in heaven. Do you guys ever think this? You, you see Bible stories and you read about them and you go, what would it have looked like to watch this leper go from unclean and diseased and what most people would consider incurable to well again, to cleanse? Did parts of his body grow back? Did he go from skin that looked all weird and shiny spots to smooth? Do you remember Naaman the Syrian? There's only two cases, by the way, in the Old Testament where a leper is healed that I know of. 2 Kings 5, Naaman the Syrian. He goes to the prophet's house. The prophet says, he doesn't even greet him at the door. He says, go dip in the Jordan River seven times. And on the seventh time, the prophet didn't like it either. There's cleaner rivers in our town. I'm so he dips in the Jordan, and the seventh time he came up, his skin became like the skin of a baby. When you get older and you, and you hold a baby, their skin is incredible. It's like, oh, that's why you, you're tempted to go, it's just amazing. The other case where someone was healed of leprosy is in Numbers 12, and it's the case of Miriam. Miriam started bagging on her brother, but her brother just happened to be Moses who talked to God face to face, and Aaron was part of it as well. And God took that pretty seriously, and Miriam became leprous. And Aaron, who also was part of the problem, said, Oh Lord, please don't hold this sin against her. And in a famous line, God says through Moses, If her father would have spit in her face, she would have been unclean for a while, is the essence of the, of the teaching. She'll be outside the camp for seven days. And Miriam apparently was leprous for seven days and received then back into the camp after a week's time. The grace of God had extended his hand. But there's a lesson even in that. And Jesus now heals the man. And the transformation must have blown anybody away who was still there. You know, it's kind of like when you leave a ball game early and then you find out your team scored two touchdowns in the last two minutes to win. And you're like, oh, no! paid $475 per ticket. And then you're like, well, we hear it on the radio, but they lost. And then your team comes back to win. Can you imagine leaving that day and somebody told you, oh, you won't believe what happened here. What? Oh, the leper man, (laughs) something happened. He's transformed in front of us, healed by the power of Almighty God. Immediately, 42, Mark 1, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Immediate healing. And Jesus sternly warned him, And immediately sent him away. Look at verse 44. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go. (laughs) Now, wait a minute. How do you do that? How could you be a leper for the last several years of your life, diseased, your whole life is defined by the leprosy, you get cleansed, and then the Lord says, oh, there's one caveat here. It's in the small print of the contract. (laughs) Don't tell anyone. (laughs) What? So you're walking home and somebody says, aren't you the... Can't tell you. Sorry. (laughs) Mom's the word. But you're the guy that... Oh, sorry. Maybe in this uh, exhortation by Jesus is a bit of irony. This is my take on it. Go with me. How could he not tell people? How could he not go onto the highways and byways and say, the man who was unclean 
Clean. Clean. How could you not say something? Maybe that's part of what's implied here. He was so used to being the soiled one and the dirtied one, and now he was a living missionary. How is it that we, the church, who have been saved from spiritual leprosy, have such a difficult time telling people about the one who healed us? I don't know if you should talk about that. I don't know. People get offended by that. Do we really believe that a spiritual transformation has happened to us to such an extent that we were dead and we're alive again? We were unclean and we're clean again. I ask you, when's the last time your heart was moved with compassion? That just your transformation story alone motivated you to say something? Well, this is the story and the man is told, show yourself to the priest Offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a testimony to them. You see, the man was a missionary not only on the highways and byways, but he would be a testimony to the priest because in Leviticus 14, write this down for your notes, verses 1 through 32, is an involved process for a a person who gets healed of leprosy. And it was very rare, but it was there in Leviticus 14. And here's what would happen. First of all, the man would have to trek down from the northern part of Israel down to Jerusalem to go into the area of the temple. In biblical times, the rare deliverances from leprosy were certified by an elaborate and uniquely joyful ceremony that extended over eight full days in fulfillment of the directives of Leviticus 14. It began when a priest met the would-be celebrant outside the camp and verified that he had actually was healed. Then still outside the camp, two birds were presented along with some cedar wood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop. One of the birds was killed in a clay pot so that none of its blood was lost. This was done above fresh water, symbolic of cleansing. Next, the live bird, along with the wood, yarn, and hyssop, was dipped in the blood. The blood was sprinkled upon the leper seven times. Think of Naaman in the the Jordan River. He was pronounced clean. The initial ceremony concluded with the bird, the live bird, being released in the open fields where it flew away, symbolizing newfound freedom. As a result, the bl- of the uh, blood-sprinkled person could once again join the community because he was excluded from the community. This foreshadowed the effect of Christ's blood, which reconciles man to God and makes it possible for the sinner to join the household of faith. After the bird's release, the cleansed man washed his clothing, shaved his hair from his body, bathed, and entered the camp where he, his family, and friends rejoiced for seven days. On the seventh day, his head, eyebrows, and beard were shaved, And he again bathed so that like a newborn, he was ready to enter into a new phase of existence. Remember I told you that compassion points to the womb. The leper being cleansed is like a newborn. Think of Naaman the Syrian, his his skin like baby skin. And he re-enters the community. He's been outside the camp, but now washed by the blood, if you will, cleansed by the healer, the master. He has newfound freedom. He's clean again. He enters into the community of faith. Are you with me? This is the picture. Do you see the spiritual picture emerging? It means someone who was lost and outside the family of faith is now found again. They're born again to a living hope. On the eighth day, the former leper offered three unblemished lambs as a guilt offering, a sin offering, and a burnt offering. The guilt offering was not an atoning sacrifice, but a restitution for the offerings and sacrifices he was unable to make while he was a leper. And then he would go and he would be reunited with family. Can you imagine the joy of the healed man and his family? as this communal celebration 
uh, accompanied the great eighth day. And the eight, number eight, in the Bible, we know is the number of what? New beginnings. That's the celebration. That's this man going into the temple as a testimony to the priests and to all who would listen. Jesus often addressed the people of Israel and he would address their will. He would say to them, you were unwilling to come. That's found in a wedding feast story in Matthew 22. Jesus looks over Jerusalem and says, how often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, yet you were unwilling. In John 5, 39 and 40, Jesus says, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have life, yet these are they that testify to me, yet you are unwilling to come to me that you may have life, John 5, 39 and 40. And then Jesus says in John 7, 17, if any man is willing to do his will, he shall know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. About the year 1830, a man named George Wilson killed a government employee who caught him in the act of robbing the mails. He was tried and sentenced to be hanged. However, President Andrew Jackson sent him a pardon. But Wilson did a strange thing. He refused to accept the pardon, and no one knew what to do. So the case went to the Supreme Court. Chief Justice Marshall, perhaps one of the greatest justices ever, wrote the court's opinion to this strange situation, pardoned by the president, a man would not accept it. Here's the court's opinion. He said, a pardon is a slip of paper, the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the person to be pardoned. If it is refused, it is no pardon. George Wilson must be hanged. And so he was. You see, an invitation to come to the master and experience his touch is just that. The question is, are you willing? If you are willing, he will certainly extend his hand to you. But if you won't come, if you won't recognize your condition, or you feel like you're beyond the master's touch, you will not receive the pardon. Every person walking the face of the earth has to see their spiritual condition like Peter did when Jesus did the miracle, fall on their face in humility and say, Lord, if you are willing, you alone can make me clean. And when you do that, the Bible teaches that the Lord will give you his righteousness in exchange for your sin. You must be willing because he is willing. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. The blood of Jesus Christ, here's the good news for the Christian, keeps on cleansing us from how much? All sin. So that now when I walk around, I walk around saying, clean, clean, clean. Not because of what I've done but because of who I belong to. That is the story of salvation. He is willing. The question he asks is, are you? Father, with our heads and hearts bowed this morning, moving into this afternoon, we thank you. Thank you for the cleansing rain outside. It produces new growth washes away the junk in the air. 
Lord, um, it does a lot. And rain is even from your hand. And the Bible is like rain. It comes down and it brings cleansing and new growth to our lives. Many in this room are already Christians, Lord. And so they just need to remember who they are in Christ, our identity as one is clean. And you keep on cleansing us from all sin. That position is not an excuse for sin, Lord, and we don't want to make it one. But we certainly rejoice that we are blameless before the Father because you took our leprosy at the cross. Thank you, Father. But if you're here and you are not sure that you've recognized your need and come broken to the feet of the Savior to have a new beginning, then now can be your time. Now is the day of salvation. Maybe you're a prodigal and you've wandered off the path and you feel like you've been soiled. You've ended up in the mud, in the pig pen. But maybe you've had a moment of realizing, coming to your senses, if that's you, this day is for you as well. It's a day to start anew. If either one of those apply to you, now is the time to open your heart to the Lord. If you'll confess him before men, he'll confess you before his Father who's in heaven. The Bible directs us to pray according to Romans 10.9, these words, something like this, and if it's you right now, don't let anything stop you. Run to him to be healed. It's something like this. Pray it out loud if it's you. Jesus, Come into my life. Thank you that you died on the cross for my sins. Thank you that you were treated as though you had committed my sins, though innocent. Thank you for your resurrection from the dead. I trust in you as my Lord and my Savior. I turn from my sin and I turn to you. Please touch me and cleanse me with your forgiving power. Make me new. Give me a new start and a new heart. Lord, for those who are crying out to you, may you bless them. May you strengthen them. May you lift the burdens off of their life. May you end the shame and pain that maybe they've been feeling. May you assure them that they are new, clean in Christ. A new creation in Christ. All things become new. Thank you, Lord, for this great hope. For us as Christians, may compassion move us more. May we not buy into the lies of the world. May we extend our hand when you give us opportunities. May we do it in wisdom, but may we also do it in compassion so that people might see the hope that met this leper on this day. Father, thank you that your hand of power knows every need. Your mighty touch can touch every need in this room. So you know the unspoken needs right now. Would you extend your hand to heal and refresh and reinvigorate lives in this room. May you remind us of how much you love us. The reason you were moved with compassion for the leper is because you love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Thank you, Father, for your great gift to us in Jesus. May we walk in a way like this leper, May we be living missionaries, a testimony of a life cleansed by the blood of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.